Good morning, everybody. Can you please take your seats? Please join me as we pray to the one whose glory taught the stars to shine and is so worthy of all our alleluias. Loving Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in freedom to worship you and have your word proclaimed over us. We pray for your anointing over Sam this morning as he ministers to us. We know there are many around the world who do not have the privilege of meeting together and we remember them today. Wherever they are and whatever their circumstances, please also be with the royal family during the funeral of our much-loved Queen. Lord God, we are so in awe of your incredible love for all people and all that you have created. We have sung this morning about the wonder of who you are and how awesome you are. We constantly try to understand you to get some picture of who you are and what you are really like, but really you are so much bigger than we could ever imagine. We stand before you this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth, as you desire and as you deserve. We look at the heavens and we see you there. We look at nature and we see you in all its amazing diversity. We know that you care for every single detail of the world and the heavens you have created. And Lord, you are the most incredible multitasker. Your eye is ever searching for worshippers. You hear the answers, you hear and answer the prayers of billions of people at the same time you are creating new life in all its forms, while keeping our earth spinning and the planets in their orbit. You are so much more than we could ever imagine. And yet you chose to come to earth as a baby to show us who you are and what you are really like. When you were born, the light of the world couldn't see clearly for weeks. The bread of life needed to be fed every few hours. The sun shone on the face of its creator. And at your death, your blood soaked into the earth you made. Jesus, you came to show us what the Father is really like. You have lived every human experience we could name. No other God has ever done that. You told us that he knows the number of hairs on our heads, that he knows when a sparrow falls. Google tells us there are 1.6 billion sparrows in the world, yet not one escapes the eye of our Father. And you said that whoever has seen you has seen the Father. You demonstrated his compassion, his love, mercy and kindness, his absolute authority and power. Jesus, as we reflect on these things, we are convinced that you are so much bigger and more powerful, all-knowing and incomparable than we ever thought. There is nothing too difficult for you. You are more than able to deal with whatever concerns we have today. David said to Goliath, you come against me with weapons, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the most powerful name in the universe, and Goliath fell. He fell because David called on your name and you have never lost a battle. 
Please forgive us for the times we have failed to ask for your help and the mistakes we have made because of our independence. Let's take a moment now to name the things that are on our hearts that concern us, the Goliaths in our lives, and we do it believing we are giving them to the most powerful and loving God there is. You are all we need, Jesus, our King and our High Priest. Lord, we thank you that you have heard our prayers today. Thank you that you alone have the answers for life. And we leave all these cares in your loving hands, praying for your perfect will to be done in all the needs lifted to you this morning. Thank you that you reward those who earnestly seek you. And in the incomparable and powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks, Karen. Morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be uh, in front of you again this morning. Uh, If you are new, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills Christian Family Centre, and it's a privilege to be able to to speak and share uh, God's Word this morning. And I also want to say hello to Gary and Ronnie, who are back from your trip. It's wonderful to see you amongst us as well. And uh, if you're watching online this morning, I uh, particularly want to say hello to Jenny Pope. Uh, I know you're, you're home again uh, at the moment. I trust uh, God's continued healing upon your life, Jenny, uh, and we pray for that. And Mike? Oh, she's gone back in hospital. Okay. Well, let's pray for Jenny right now. Yeah, Lord, um, Lord we just pray for Jenny, uh, dear Jenny. And uh, Lord, pray for your healing hand to be upon her. Lord, that your presence be real uh, in her time of need, Lord, as she calls upon the name of the Lord, uh, that you would be there to guide and to lead. Uh, we just pray for, yeah, your heal, healing hand to be upon her now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, wanna, uh, Dan mentioned uh, Deborah and her need uh, for some help around her home. I actually got a text message from Deborah, uh, she's watching online with Shah and Emily, so they were, had colds this morning, they wanted to be here, but she appreciates uh, mentioning uh, the fact that we as a community can, can help and get alongside you. So, so pray for God's healing upon your family too, Deborah, as you continue to watch. Now, I'm just going to get myself a little bit set up for a bit later on today. Um, we're going to do something a little different at the end of the service. So if you're online, we're going to be having communion at the end of the service. So uh, feel free uh, in the boring part of the sermon to go out and get something that would (laughs) be uh, juice or bread or crisps so that you can also participate in our communion this morning. And we're going to be inviting uh, the kids back into the church so that we can have communion together. So that's what's going to be special about this morning at the end of the service. So that means I have to actually watch the time and be on time this morning. So we are in the middle of a series on Acts, and we're talking about Acts of the Holy Spirit because really uh, Luke is concerned and, and highlights the fact that these are ordinary people, 
but empowered by the same wonderful Holy Spirit to do amazing and wonderful things uh, as the early church establishes itself uh, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And we wanted to do this series because this year we're talking about making a difference. We're talking about making a difference in three areas in our personal lives. One of the biggest ways we can make a difference is participating in the life of the church, to be praying for one another, to be uh, serving one another, to be uh, speaking over one another's lives and making a, a difference as we come together. But we, we just want, pray that the word of God makes a difference in your life that you would grow, that you would mature, that you would be changed and transformed this year as you continue to sit under the Word of God. But that we would also see a difference, making a difference in our church, that, that we might... Wasn't it great to see Rennie in her sweet spot? Uh, Joe mentioned that. Like her sweet spot is, is doing what she loves doing. And each and every one of us has different gifts, and we can uh, use those gifts in the life of the church, in our sweet spots. And some of us might be discovering those sweet spots and, and maybe, maybe there might be a new area of ministry in the life of the church that hasn't yet opened up but that's right on your heart for you to participate in. Maybe God's calling that on you uh, this year and as we continue to, to seek to make a difference. Actually, Rennie used the words making a difference in her little talk about the birthday party. I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. My ears pricked up. Hey, this little child wants to make a difference in our community. And that's ultimately what we as a church are about and ultimately what we see in Acts as the disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit go out to spread the message of the good news of Jesus, they change the world, literally. And because of that work, you and I have come to know the good message of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so that is what we're on and we are in the part of Acts really uh, where we today are involved in, the, the introduction Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the first couple of chapters, we see the activity in Jerusalem. We see it primarily around Peter and, and his work. He's sort of the, the main character in the, the early parts of Acts. And then, it, then he sort of drifts off as, as we go into the nations. But then in Jerusalem there's persecution as Stephen is stoned and that drives the, the people into the next area, which is Judea and Samaria. And here we see Philip at work, the deacon, and uh, Philip with Cornelius and other things. So the, the, the gospel starting to spread out and, and enter the different areas. And now we're in the part of Acts, which is Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey where we finally see the church sending out missionaries with the purpose of reaching the rest of the world, the nations. And so we, uh, the first missionary journey is chapters 13 and 14. We did chapter 13 last week, and this week we're going to do chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, and we are encouraging people to have your Bibles with you because you can, can underline stuff and you can and have a look at the wording as we go through. But the, the first missionary journey happens, the, the church is sent from Antioch, this is uh, in Syria, up above Jerusalem, which is down here, and it's this church where they're first called Christians, and it's this church that sends Paul and Barnabas on a journey, they, they come to Cyprus, 
they land here and then uh, on the west side of Cyprus they have the dealing last week we talked about with Bar Jesus, this someone who tried to distract um, people from hearing the truth. And then uh, at the end of chapter 13, we didn't do that last week, but they end up up here in what we have, what we would call as modern-day Turkey, but it is uh, Galatia, and this is where Paul writes his letters to the Galatians. And uh, in Antioch, Paul's first sermon is recorded, and uh, some come to faith, but a lot of um, opposition. So they flee the opposition to Iconium, and here again, we're going to be discovering this morning, some receive it, but some don't. And they, they come up with a, a, a plan to, to, to kill them, so they run away to Lystra. And this is where we're going to be focusing this morning on the passage, uh, Lystra and Derby. And then after a lot of persecution, Paul and Barnabas go back and they follow their footsteps back to the places where they were driven out of the towns. Really interesting because they established churches in those areas and they wanted to, to make sure the churches uh, had good leaders and could establish and grow and make a difference. So they're willing to go back into it. And so uh, last week we, we focused really on the, the time in Cyprus and if you weren't here last week and you don't know what that picture means, ask someone who was here last week or maybe go back to the podcast and you might want to have a, have a listen to that one. Um, but really what's interesting as you look at really this is the start of Paul's ministry is that there is a very similarity to the way that Luke writes the start of Paul's ministry to the start of Peter's ministry. And I'm going to explain that to you. So um, in in the early parts of Acts, we see Peter's first sermon. And then after his first sermon, uh, we see a miracle. After that miracle, we see what I'm going to be calling a point of don't worship us moment. Don't know how else to call it, anything else, but <laughs> it's a don't worship us moment. And then after that, there is a rejection. So Peter at Pentecost, he preaches his first sermon, and that's recorded by Luke. And then straight after that, in Acts 3, they're on the, on the way to the temple to pray, and they come across the lame man at Gate Beautiful. There's a man lame from birth, and they say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then there's this commotion in the temple of uh, what just happened. And Peter has to explain to the crowd, don't worship us, like, do you think that this was us that did this? This is I'm just a person. I'm just a human being. I've got I've got no special powers. It's the Holy Spirit that did this. So don't put us up on this high pedestal. It's it's about Jesus and it's about the Spirit at work in us. But in that context, they're thrown into prison by the authorities, the Jewish authorities. So there's this rejection. Now we see what happens in Paul's life as his first ministry. Uh, journey uh, in Antioch at the end of chapter 13, not the Antioch that sent them, there's another Antioch that they go to in Galatia. He has his first sermon that Luke records. And then in Lystra, there's this really interesting uh, miracle that happens, which is pretty much identical to the miracle that Peter does. And then there's this 
don't worship us moment, which is where the, the Gentiles consider them to be Greek and Roman gods, Zeus or Jupiter and Mercury. And, and they're like, don't, don't make us gods. And then after that, Paul is stoned. So we see a very similar pattern. And what Luke's doing is he's defending uh, Paul's apostleship because all through Paul's writing, he kind of defends himself as the apostles to the Gentiles. And, and we see, hey, look, Peter, who the Jewish people really kind of saw as their leader, Paul really did the same sorts of things, but now in a Gentile context. But what I want to focus on this morning is this last kind of part of it, don't worship us and the rejection, because whether it was Peter and the other disciples in Jerusalem or whether it's Paul and Barnabas and Silas later on in in the Gentile world, in both situations we see something similar. And this is what Luke really makes clear in the book of Acts, is that whenever the gospel is preached, there is division. Whenever the gospel, the true message of Christ is preached, there are those who receive it with glad and sincere hearts and go away praising. And there are those who reject it, but not just say, you know, put it off their minds. They, they are angry. And they are angry to the extent that they want to eradicate and, and push out those who are uh, sharing this message of the gospel. So when the, the good news of Jesus is, is preached, when it's declared, there are, there are those that receive and there are those that reject. It is a divisive thing. In fact, let's just, if you've got your Bibles, this is where it's handy to have it, just turn back to Acts chapter 13. And right at the end of that, where, where they're in Antioch, it, it says here, right at the very end, verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet. Now, do you remember Jesus, he actually gave that command to his disciples when they went into a town. If they, if they didn't hear and didn't receive, they were to take off their sandals and shake the dust off as a sign of sort of saying, well, now, we, we've given you the message. If you're going to reject it, it's, it's no part to us. So verse 51, so they shook the dust from their feet against them, those who rejected the message, and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The, the joy is expressed by those who receive it. And yet there's this anger and frustration with those who reject it. And I'm going to come back to that later on at the end. So let's then turn now to Acts chapter 14. And we're going to be reading through as we have uh, previously. So at Iconium, so now they, they've, they've fled um, this spot here. Now they're in the town of Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, to the Jewish synagogues. They had this strategy of first going to the Jews and then to the Gentiles because the Jewish people had an understanding of the Scripture. And they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So the message is going to both Jew and Gentile. But the Jews 
who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers so that the church now is established. And what's interesting here is that even though there's a division, there's some who believed, but those who refused to believe, those who reject it, are now stirring up. There's, there's this anger, there's this sort of passion to do something about those who are believing. And they, they want to do something about that. But because of that, notice the next line, because of this stirring up and because of this um, pressure, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. Isn't that interesting? They didn't sort of see it as a, oh, okay, let's, let's move on. But because the church is at stake, because those who are young, who are first hearing the message, can easily be swayed by this angry mob, they're going to stay a long time and speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling to perform signs and wonders. So they're speaking boldly for the Lord and it is the Lord who confirms their message by signs and wonders. Whenever we see in Acts uh, the message of, of Jesus preached is often accompanied by signs and wonders. And those signs and wonders don't stand on their own, but they're, if you like, a, a seal of approval. They're, they're proof that the words are true. And so the Lord provides signs and wonders. And the people in the city were, what were they? They were divided. Here we see it in action. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot amongst the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So there is a division. Uh, There are those who... Uh, want to hear the message and receive it, and there are those who are against it. In fact, what's really interesting in Antioch is is how the the people stirred up uh, against the apostles. Was they went to the to the women of the town, the 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 uh, influential and affluent women of the town, because their husbands were the leaders of the place. So how do you get the husbands who aren't really interested in what's going on to do what you want them to do? You go to the wives and, you know, happy wife, happy life sort of thing. Um, the husbands then were the ones that then drove them out of town. So there's this, but there's this plot now to actually stone them. The persecution is getting so great that it's not just a, I don't like what you're saying. It's now turned into a, I actually want to get rid of what you and the message of what you're saying. And so because of this, they flee. And here we see the Spirit leading Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journey and seeing the way that the Spirit leads us as we go about our lives. Sometimes circumstances happen where we're persecuted or, or a door shuts, and so we go to another open door or another area, and, and the Lord leads us that way, and he led Paul and Barnabas that way. So there's a, a division and... So now that they are in Lystra. Lystra, by the way, is where Timothy uh, comes from. You know that Paul and, and Timothy had a, had a really important relationship. And it's probably likely that Timothy's mother was converted when Paul here is now in Lystra. So in Lystra, 
There sat a man who was lame, and he had been that way from birth. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 3, when you look at at the lame man in, in at Gate Beautiful, Luke uses the exact same phrase. It, this isn't just someone who has been lame for a couple of months or, um, you know, they had an accident when they were 20 and before that they were walking. The, this person has been this way from birth, which, what, which makes the miracle all the more great because this person is not only now no longer lame but they've actually had to learn to walk. Like you and I have the, the benefit of being a toddler and learning to walk and falling over and, and learning that skill and the, the strength of the muscles and things like that. But both, both men in these situations with Peter and Paul are that way from birth, which makes this miracle all the more amazing and all the more profound. But Luke uses the exact same phrase. He's been that way from birth. Now we know that Luke was a doctor, so he's He's um, gone and sort of studied what happened and he has asked questions and he's found out that this is their condition. And never had walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking and, and Paul looked directly at him. Now, I don't know if you were, you were here last week. Do you remember when Paul looked directly or sternly or sincerely at the eyes of the of Bar-Jesus? <laughs> and, and so so. So Paul in his ministry is, is acting out of discernment. He, he sees by Jesus and he looks intently at him and he kind of works out who he is and then he deals with that accordingly. He looks intently at this man who's, who's lame and he sees that he has the faith to be healed. He sees that in the person and because he... He discerns that. He looks intently at the situation. He, he surveys what's happening. He's empowered by the Spirit. He goes, this guy has a faith. And so because of that, he, he says, stand up on your feet. And at that moment, the man jumped up and began to walk. Jumped up. He went walking and leaping and prayed. Like very similar story here to the story of Peter and the man. And when the crowd had saw what Paul had done. They shouted in the Lyconian language. Now, Paul and Barnabas wouldn't have heard what they were saying. That, remember, Paul was pretty profound. In, like he would have had Latin. He would have had uh, Aramaic. He would, have, you know, he, he would have had Greek. He, he would have had all these languages that he knew, but he wouldn't have known the Lyconian language. So they're, they're saying in their own language. So, so Paul and Barnabas are kind of not really sure what's happening here. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, apparently if you look at uh, depictions of Zeus and, and Hermes, we, we don't have descriptions of, of Paul and Barnabas really in like physical in the Bible, but it's a pretty funny sort of thing to think, well, Hermes was a shorter person, so maybe Paul was short um, and, <laughs> and Barnabas was tall and strong. I don't know. Barnabas was, they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, the priest of Zeus, so here we are really in sort of a pagan area. We're out of the kind of Jewish zone, and we have pagan worship. We have even a temple to Zeus in this town that they are in. Now, the priest of Zeus saw this miracle. And they were amazed. 
And they thought that the gods had come down in human form. So they want to sacrifice to the gods. They want to, they want to worship these gods. They bought brawls and wreaths to the city gates because he, they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now here we have your don't worship me moment. <laughs> I think one of the, the biggest uh, temptations in Christian ministry is when things are going well to want to puff yourself up. To want to say, this has to do with me and my skill and my uh, abilities and my gifts. In fact, there is a denomination in, in, the, in the Christian church that likes to puff up humans and worship and idolise humans. And if you look through Acts, you see Peter, you see Paul, you see Philip, you see, uh, you see, you see them all go, don't worship me. I'm just a human being. I'm not a deity. It is Christ that we worship. I have no power in myself. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in me. And so they have this don't worship me moment. But what's interesting here is that the, the people of the town think that they are Zeus and Hermes. Now, there is there was a fable, there was a legend of the time, and Ovid who was a, a Roman poet, wrote down of a story called Borcus and Philemon, not Philemon the, of the Bible, a different one. And the story went that there was Zeus and Hermes came down in human form. They disguised themselves as humans and they looked for hospitality in the town and everyone rejected them except for one couple, Borcus and Philemon. This is the legend. This is sort of Roman mythology and Greek mythology. And, and so because there was only one couple that showed hospitality, they, they got rid of the whole town and they made these two permanent trees at the entrance of Zeus's temple. So this is the legend that, that happened. And so when they see this miracle happen, they go, oh, remember that legend? The, the, these people must be gods. It must be these two coming again. We don't want to make the same mistake again. We don't want to not show them hospitality. We want to. We, we don't want to be eradicated. So this this um, legend. This is actually has been an inspiration for for many uh, paintings. So this one is Rembrandt. Uh, this is Borcus and uh, Philemon. Uh, this is Rubens. You can see the the two gods there with Borcus and Philemon. And then this one is a, a, a painter, I don't know, Jacob Van Ost. So, so there's this legend and these people are going, these people must be gods because we've seen them do this amazing and wonderful thing. But here you see it again and Luke describes it. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. Now here Paul changes his strategy. Before he'd used the scriptures to reveal Christ, now he's in kind of a pagan world. He uses creation. And he's going to amplify this when he goes to uh, Athens. We're going to see the... His wonderful preaching there. Turning, we are bringing you good news, turning you away from these worthless living things, worthless things, sorry, to a living God. 
who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not let himself be without testimony. And Carol spoke about that when she prayed this morning. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. There's the evidence of God at work in the world. And even with these words, they had difficulty from keeping the crowd from sacrificing. So now they're preaching and it's getting even better. They're like, well, we still want to sacrifice to you because we like what you're saying. <laughs> we, we, this is something's resonating in our hearts. And that happens when we preach the gospel. There's, there's something attractive, something I, I like what I hear. But then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, now they've, they've organised themselves and they've, they've gone on a journey to find them and they've entered Lystra now. They came and they win the crowd over and they stone Paul and they drag him outside the city thinking that he's dead. So obviously Paul here is unconscious. Uh, from a stoning. But the disciples gathered around him. He got up and went back into the city. <laughs> Who here would do that? This angry mob have just come from towns to, to kill you and they stone you and they think that they've won. But, but again, Paul is just on about the gospel and he just wants to, to win these people over. So, he, so they go into the city. So... This, at the start, I talked about the gospel divides. There are those that receive and there are those that don't. Here we see the crowd in Lystra, the, the, the people, they're wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas. And then they're quickly swayed. What a fickle bunch. <laughs> the next moment they want to kill them, going from worship to killing them. What a, what a crazy crowd. I was thinking about that and thinking, remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they shouted, shout Hosanna to the son of David. The crowd worshipped him. They wanted to, you know, do sacrifices to him. And then the same crowd a week later are yelling, crucify him. What's going on here is something that we see throughout all of human history. And I want to try and illustrate this to you, is that what Luke depicts here is a truth about our human existence. And that is that each and every one of us has a worldview, has a way we make sense of the world, has an understanding of what we see around us. And this comes from our religion. Now that word might seem funny to you. You might say, well, I'm not religious. Well, Everyone is religious in that we do things religiously. We have cultural things in our lives. We have an upbringing. We have things that we've participated in. We've had uh, family influences. We've had cultural influences. We've had spiritual influences in our life. These are outside forces that shape how we see things. We have our reason. This is an internal way that we make sense of the world. Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? What, what, is, what is the reason for existence? <laughs> we, we reason, we intellect, we, we work out, we ponder. So this is an internal thing that happens in our minds. We've got our external religiosity 
We've got our internal reason, and both those things form our own right. Now, I should have said truth, but it didn't start with an R. So <laughs> our own right. We have our, everyone has their right that they have formed for themselves, their worldview. This is my right. And what we're seeing in our society, particularly today, is people who have formed their own right and are very strong about what their right is, and everyone else is wrong. And, and they want to get rid of anyone who comes against their right. We're seeing this played out very heavily in our society right now. So everyone has a right. And that right, I was playing with my son the other day. And I love the way the Lord spoke to me. And we were playing with the blocks. And um, this might represent a person's right. And we like it all ordered, don't we? We like it neat. We like our world to be tidy. We like to make sense of it. We like to be able to explain it. And both the Jews and the Gentiles come across the message of Christ. And it looks a bit different. And it looks attractive. They, they liked the healings. They, they wanted to have part of that. But they've, got to now inter, they've got to now embrace that into their own right. And we've got a hole here that's nice and neat and tidy that would fit. But this piece isn't that shape. And so in order to make the message of Jesus what I want it to be, I've now got to get a saw out and I've got to change it. I've got to bend it or I've got to manipulate this in order for it to fit my world and fit my thinking and fit my understanding. This is what we're seeing here that this might represent Paul and, and Barnabas. Oh, you guys must be Zeus and, and like, I like this. I want this. This, this. this is nice. And even when you preach, there was something about it that was true, that was right. And I want to accept it into me. So I'm going to have you on my terms. I'm going to sacrifice bulls to you. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. The message of Jesus is pure. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we see this happening in our world. The problem with this is that this shows up our right to be wrong. And we don't like it when I've spent my whole life building my right, my whole life making sense of my right. And now I've got to include something that I can't make sense of or I can't fit into my understanding and my reasoning. There is another way. And so there are those that then, the the Jewish leaders or the angry mob, they go, well, if we can't have you on our terms, then I just, I want to get rid of you. (laughs) I, I can't, I can't handle it. I want want to have you out of my life. But there are those who receive the message and they start reconstructing their world and they base it on having Christ as the centre. So I've got another one here 
Here's one I made earlier. Looks a bit different, doesn't it? <laughs> it? Doesn't look neat and tidy. It looks a bit all over the place. It's even got some things that aren't in here, like gifts of the Holy Spirit and stuff. <clears throat> but Christ is at the center and he remains as he is, unchanged, untampered with. And this is those who receive the message. And even though it looks a bit different, there is always joy with the life that has now been made, that has been transformed, that has done a different thing. And we, we see this all throughout Scripture. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they're like, this is the Messiah that's come to rid the Romans and give us back our Israel. That's this is who this is. And then hang on, Jesus is on a cross. He's he's dying for my sins so that I can receive him and have eternal life. That's not the, the Jesus that I was wanting. Kill him. That's what they did. Because they were proven to be wrong. And yet there were those who, like the thief on the cross, there's an example. Two people who had the same upbringing, the same religiosity, the same reasoning for their life. One ridiculed Jesus. The other said, pray for me. And Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise today. One rejected, one received. And you might say, but then I'm going to look different to everyone else. That's right. Following Jesus, you'll look different. And you might look at that and go, it's a bit messy. That's right. Following Jesus is messy. And it's painful and requires sacrifice and requires things to be all out of whack sometimes. But Christ is at the centre. Yeah, it's messy. You might look at this and go, but I'm going to stand out. That's right. You're going to stand out. But stand out for a difference. And you're going to make a difference in your life and in the church and to the rest of the world when you put Christ at the centre, when you receive him, and you don't change the truth, but you build your life around him, not trying to make your own Jesus. I'm going to invite the musos up. Tribe, you can join your, your parents. We're just going to sing a song just to end our time this morning.
before we head into communion. And I just want to read to you from, I thought I'd read from Galatians because Paul writes to the church in Galatians where this just happened. And at the end of chapter 2, he says, If we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does this mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We're going to sing a song, and I encourage you as we do that just to Ask that question, Jesus, what are you saying to me this morning? What is my religiosity? What is my reasoning? What is my right? What are you perhaps challenging this morning? Have I tried to manipulate you and change you and mould you into what I want you to be? Or have I accepted your message with joy and been transformed and for my world to look different. I invite you just to remain seated. I'm going to invite us to sing this song just as a reflection time now. Be asking that question, Lord, speak to me. Are you calling me to receive the truth this morning? Are you calling me to maybe rearrange certain areas of my life so that the true Christ can be revealed and that my life can be shown for all that it's meant to be? Yeah, so Lord, just come upon us now. Speak to us. Minister to us by your Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Peter and Paul. Come speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. that we can rest in your finished work the goodness of Jesus that brings peace and joy into our hearts no matter what circumstances may arise around us or matter lays before us Lord there is peace and there is joy in knowing you having you at the centre of our lives transforming us changing us reminding that perhaps our right isn't quite right but your right is always the true right. 
And we want to align ourselves to you this morning. Thank you for your ministry to us. Pray that you continue to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the questions we ask at the end of this Acts series is, how has understanding and reading the narrative of Acts changed perhaps who we are as a church? And we saw in the church, particularly in the early parts of the church, that there is unity, that there is sharing, there is a bringing together of all their gifts in the community. So we wanted to do that this morning as we ended. The primary age kids have been making flatbreads this morning because they were talking about the loaves and the fishes, the generosity of, of God. And so they're going to come. You guys can come stand at the front. Now, if some of you are a bit funny about COVID and eating, there is the normal crackers there as well. <laughs> but what a gift the kids are to us for us to be able to receive the bread that they've prepared in their ministry areas this morning. Have you got someone to read the thing or not? No. Okay, that's fine. So we're going to share in this meal together, just like the early church did very regularly. Jesus said, whenever you come together and do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we are remembering who Jesus is what he did for us on that cross to bring us into a new life, into a transformed life, into a life that maybe changes our mindset and into a new life with him. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup And he said, this is a cup of a new covenant, my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do as our Lord Jesus commanded us. We remember his one perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for you and for me for all time. And we celebrate this until he's coming again as our Lord and Saviour when he returns. So, Lord, we thank you for this bread We thank you for this cup. We ask that you continue to minister to us now as we share in your meal together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite this side of the church up. You can head to the door, the the wall. Come and you can receive. Do you guys want to maybe move more this way and that way they can get the cup after that as well? You can come and receive. And you guys might want to, if they come and take the bread, you might want to say, this is the body of of Jesus given for you or bless you or something like that. That would be nice. So you guys come, grab the bread and the cup. And then when this side is done, you guys do the same thing. Head to the wall, come and grab these and then come back down the aisle to your seats. Hold the cup. And hold the bread, because we're going to eat together as a family this morning. I was just thinking about the words to that song we... We sang it's, it's 
It's interesting, it came up in our prayer time before the service, that as we turn our eyes to Jesus, the things of the earth, the things of our lives, the things around us just pale into insignificance in comparison to who he is and what he has done for us. Let that be your prayer this morning as we we share in this meal together that the things that are happening in your lives or the pressures would just grow strangely dim compared to his wonderful love for you demonstrated on the cross as he died for you, he gave his life up for you, that you would have eternal life with him and a hope of glory that cannot be shaken and taken away. So let us now eat together the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys can eat one. Yep, you can eat. let us drink together the blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Can we stand? You guys can head, head back, maybe put your plates down. Can we just want to sing the last couple of verses of this song as we, we end our time together. As we declare Jesus and his goodness for us. for sharing that plate of food with us. It was fantastic. It's great to have family involved, isn't it? Uh, Sam, I don't know if it was deliberate, but the blood of Christ, the body of Christ has knocked over the wall (laughs) of our our own truths, and we want to have a life like this, don't we? Um, The good thing about Duplo and blocks like that is they're not held together with glue. They can be pulled apart, and um, our lives can be reconstructed. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Let's just finish in prayer, hey? Oh, Jesus, we are, we're submitted to you, Lord. We want to have you as that, that centerpiece of our life. We just uh, ask that your truth will reign true in our, in our lives and that we can just, you know, be completely, completely um, just in awe of what, what you've done and who you are and that your, your goodness and your Holy Spirit will just pour out and actually have a life that's fruitful and colourful and different. And that we can just, yeah, be prepared to challenge our views. And, yeah, we look at the lives of Paul and Barnabas and just what what they did and had that courageousness and that, that no fear. And we just want to be like that, Lord.
Thank you again. Amen. Mm. Well, thanks, everyone. Joe's got something to say. You go. Thank you, Dan. The primary children still need to be signed out of their program, so the cards that you receive when you sign your children in need to be returned. So please, could you make sure that you walk back and um, finish off the process of signing out? That would be fabulous. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Well, that's it, everyone. Thank you very much, and uh, be sure to stay for a coffee and a chat. We'll see you next time. Thanks.